Okay, what's going on, guys? And welcome to a brand new episode of Energize. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. We have Ulster and Osprey and Ireland and Lion, heartthrob, Tommy Bow. Tommy, how are you doing? <laughs> Ross, come from one heartthrob to another. How are you? Oh, Jesus, no one's ever called me a heartthrob. That's the first time anyone's ever said a compliment back to me after a nice little introduction. I'm great, to Tommy. I'm beard like you. I've still a little bit of work to do, mind you. Oh, this this is a COVID nineteen beard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How long have you been in lockdown for? Oh, jeez, uh, two years. Oh, I'm like Tom Hanks from Castaway. <laughs> you look like it, all right. How's it going, lads? All good. Brilliant, Tommy. Brilliant. Well, like as best as it can be, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah funny old times. Yeah. Where about where about you base now? I'm living in Belfast. So Belfast. I retired with Ulster a year and a half ago. Uh, obviously was living in Belfast when I was playing for them and still here. So, oh, good. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, well, before this whole crazy time, I was on the road nonstop. I was in probably Dublin, Galway, Limerick, three, four times a week. So doing a lot of, doing a lot of mileage now since retiring, but being busy. So it's all good. Yeah, because you're a Monaghan man, aren't you? Yeah, 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 from Monaghan. So nip down there to catch up with the folks now, now and again as well. But a lot of my mates, very few of them are still in Monaghan. A lot of them have... There are Cavan and Meath and Dublin and all over the show. So, um, yeah, it's, listen, it, who knows whether I'll go back there again. But, uh, yeah, great memories back in Monaghan. Yeah, yeah in fairness, they were the last uh, county in Ireland to catch a dose of the coronavirus. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. Something to be said about that. Great at washing things, washing their hands and washing diesel. <laughs> <laughs> something else, something else. So, Tommy, what, what's life looking like for you now? Uh, obviously, you're retired from playing uh, rugby, but you're, you're, you're working away. You're uh, one of the main analysts there for the Pro 14, I think, was it with Virgin Media? No, 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 no don't no, make no. that mistake, oh, lads. Jesus, uh, sorry. Air Sports. Air Sports. Air Sports. Well, Apologies. Get, get me in trouble. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm the presenter of the Pro 14 with Air Sport. Um, which has been a it's been a really exciting challenge for me to be presenting to go straight into that from retiring was a difficult jump to make uh, to go the punditry side of things and an analyst side of things it is the more natural progression because being a rugby player we know from all those meetings that we've done all those years of playing and training we can mm. see and read plays but for me I wanted to challenge myself so I tried to get into the presenting side of things. Um, I did a bit of presenting on a holiday show for RTE and BBC. I've done was that, a was sorry, documentary was that one, or two. Was as that well. with Vogue Williams? Was it? Yeah, Vogue my dad actually and told me that. Mairead Ronan, yeah. My yeah, dad actually yeah, told me that. Was, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the toughest of shows. It definitely, unfortunately, RTE have actually pulled it, which is a bit of a shame because uh, getting to go off on trips with Mairead and Vogue and, and the lads off to Seattle, Lanzarote, Ibiza. Uh, yeah, well, that was the great gig. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, keep the town well topped up as well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know I'm feeling particularly pasty. And the one day that the sun is shining here in Ireland and in Belfast, uh, I'm here inside doing this podcast. We won't be here for long. We'll be all good. We'll, we'll pay for <laughs> yeah, the town in bed. We'll pay for the town in bed. Yeah, that's what <laughs> but, uh, Tommy, is it difficult? Proper Jacob Stockdale style. What? <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it difficult um, be, being a presenter now, knowing, knowing the players haven't played with a lot of them and like actually be, being like critical? How do you find that? Well, it is hard. Um, and, and for me, like, I'm not trying to be critical. I think one of the things is, as a player, we're used to Monday morning meetings where the coaches would be absolutely 
you know, they come down hard on players. So we're, the players are well used to um, people picking up on their mistakes and, and being criticised for things because it happens every day in their training regime. It, but I think they have respect for players who've been there and done it before. So they know that if I say something or Donico Callan says something or Luke Fitzgerald or Peter Stringer, they know that we've been in that situation before and, and we're not just saying it just to try and get clicks, you know? So I think that yeah. that's a big thing. We're not trying to be too sensational. The, the beauty of it from my side is I didn't want to be that person and really to be a pundit nowadays, you have to be a little bit sensational. You have to try and create headlines. People want to create that bit of drama. So from my point of view, that's why I wanted to go down the presenter role. I wanted to be the man asking the questions um, maybe knowing where the tough questions were and the tough answers were going to be and I get to throw it over to the likes of Donica to go and throw someone under the bus so that's that's the side of things I enjoy the most but uh, particularly I, I just love the from the presenter side of things I could have five guys in my ear or five men women talking away in my ear counting down how long I've got left in the chat what we're going to next what the pictures are coming up on the screen um, and I'm trying to talk to the two or three who are in front of me. So your brain is, you know, it's it's 100 miles an hour. And whenever I played a match, my body was wrecked after it, but my, my brain was fine. Where now doing this, it's my brain is wrecked and my body is fine. So it's it's a complete adjustment, but uh, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, that's good to hear. Oh, uh, Tommy, tell us this. Uh, do you have a favorite sort of panel? work with like uh obviously you mentioned Donica and uh, Peter there but uh, do you have someone who like is your favorite person to bounce off um well I don't like Jerry Flannery there because he stresses me out <laughs> he's way too intense and uh himself and Stringer are the worst because normally whenever the game kicks off I like to get myself a, a nice tie and some noodles and uh take these oh, where those lads are all about the chopped and salads and stuff so uh not keen on that so uh, having having Donica there always adds a bit of crack. Uh, sometimes he's a bit of a disaster because he makes it a bit tough that you ask him a question, he starts talking about completely the wrong thing because he hasn't been listening to a word you've said. <laughs> uh, and Gordon Darcy, uh, when you go to talk to him about a question, you might ask him, what do you think of the new Leinster jersey? And he starts talking about Munster for five minutes. So it is hard to try and uh, keep control of them all. But generally, they're guys I would have played alongside. They're guys I'd know very well. And the crack is good. And we try to be as serious as we can. We try to give the analysis as well as we can. But we also are trying to be a little bit more fluid, a little bit more relaxed and, and have a bit of fun and create a bit of entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. And Tommy, obviously the Pro 14 is on a hiatus right now. Uh, yeah. What way do you see the league finishing? You know I mean, like Leinster are doing a bit of a Liverpool at the moment and they're running away yeah. with it on their side of the things. Do you think yeah. it will continue? Will it be cancelled? You know, what way do you see it going I, down? I don't know. It's, it's pretty scary, to be honest with you, particularly for the clubs. The clubs are still having to pay these wages. They're not getting the crowds in. They're not being able to bring in any money at all. So it's, it's difficult for the clubs, it, like all business, I suppose. Um, I know chatting to quite a few of the players, they're taking these couple of weeks as almost their holiday period. They're trying to do a little bit of training at home, but they're loving it because even if they don't train, the coaches can't get to them to tell them off. <laughs> so they'll come back into training about three stone overweight. 
but the plan is is that they're meant to be getting back into training, hoping to get going again around the end of April time. Uh, whether that looks like it's going to happen, it's pretty unlikely. Yeah. Uh, but the problem is that players' contracts are finished up by around the end of June. Uh, so I, I would love to think by the end of May, we could have one month of June and try and have a, a playoff, maybe the top four teams from each conference play against each other. That would make then a quarterfinal, a semifinal, a final. But really to try and see how it's going to work, it's going to be a bit, bit of a disaster, particularly because you have the two teams from Italy and two teams from South Africa as well. It's just uh, it's going to be difficult logistically. Yeah. yeah. What was your take on that when we added in the South African teams into Pro 14? Do you think that was a, a good look or do you think just, you know, travel-wise and stuff like that, it's a, almost a slight disaster Although the lads might love the breakdown of South Africa all the time. Yeah, do you know what? I did it in my final year. I did the trip down to Port Elizabeth and the travel is a disaster. I mean, it was 22 hours, three flights to get there um, to just play one match and then come back again. So, what? and we're not... I think we did actually go business class down there, but not mm. on the way back. Um, yeah. But it is it is a bit of a struggle, particularly the season is so long nowadays for players. But to get down there, it kind of it's nice to just it's a completely new environment. I'd say after about five or six years, though, players will get a bit fed up of it. At the minute, it's all new. People like to kind of get away. It's almost like going on tour, and and players love touring. But in years to come, it might become a little bit too much. But the Cheetahs have certainly added something to the competition. The Kings definitely have not. If they, can, if they can try and add a bit of competitiveness to it, it's definitely worthwhile. Otherwise, it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, yeah no, I definitely, definitely agree with you on that. Obviously, it's good to get a player's uh, perspective on it. and that. But uh, uh, I must say, the Irish team seem to dominate every single year. Do you think that, you know, some of the maybe... Although the Welsh teams have done all right as well, but do you think yeah. what needs to be done to sort of make the league a bit more competitive? It's hard. Um, listen, the, the Welsh is uh, the Welsh have a great system. They have so many young players. You look at their national team, how strong they are. But the re- the problem with that is that they have four teams all within an hour of each other. So for them to try and bring in different sponsors, to bring in different players, you know, they're all on top of each other. They're, you know, Ireland is perfectly set up. The four provinces have always been there. We're, yeah. you know, two hours away from each other. So there's a good gap and a good different, uh, good catchment of different players. Um, I, I personally think that the Welsh need to go to two teams and just have a, a West Wales team and an East Wales team. And I think that they would be incredibly strong and then have a development team maybe up in North Wales. So for a lot of the young players to go up to North Wales, play in a development team that's still in the Pro 14, but a West Walesian team, which would be the Scarlets and the Ospreys combined and the Dragons and Cardiff being the East Wales are, would be two very strong sides. Um, I think Scotland are getting more competitive. I think Glasgow are, are a good side of good teams, good players. And Richard Cockrell's done a brilliant job with Edinburgh as well. So from a Scottish point of view, that's strong. The, really, the problem is, is that the Italians and the South Africans, you know, there's too many maybe gimme games there. You know, you go to Zebra, you generally expect that you're going to get two wins and two, you know, two bonus point wins against them. Uh, likewise, the Kings and and the Cheetahs and Benetton can cause an upset, but it's it's those games that are really the diff, uh, the disappointing side of the league. Yeah, Tommy, having spent 
time playing for the Ospreys and for Ulster. What's the biggest difference mm. between th- both sides? Um, do you know, whenever I was at the Ospreys, it was a particularly strong team. Uh, you know, we had a squad with an unbelievable... I think there were 13 players that were in the Welsh squad that won a Grand Slam uh, in that side. Plus, you had in the likes of Jerry Collins, Philo Tiatia, Marty Holla, uh, Justin Marshall was there. Like, it was an incredibly talented team. They called them the, the Galacticos of the time, the, the Real Madrid. So, um, when we were there... Listen, I went over there just for an opportunity to try something different. I couldn't get into the Irish team whenever I was about 24. I'd been dropped out of the squad by Eddie O'Sullivan. And no, no matter how well I was playing for Ulster, I just couldn't get back into the team. I decided I needed to try something different. And the opportunity came. My contract was up to go to the Ospreys. And I knew going to the Ospreys, I'd still be in the Pro 14. So I would be playing against an Irish province once in every maybe three or four weeks. So... The Irish coach, you know, you're still easily visible to him. Uh, You know, he didn't have to get on a flight to go and watch you play in the English Premiership or over in France where he's just watching one player. So that worked in my favour. In terms of what's different, I think that, you know, rugby is definitely the national sport over in Wales. They grow up with it. It's a real club mentality over there. Uh, Here in Ireland, there's so many sports between Gaelic football, hurling, soccer, uh, all vying for that spot. And, and um, you know, I, I think if, if rugby could get to the stage where we could grab some of those Gaelic footballers and hurlers and get them into the system, yeah, I think we would be, could become world beaters. Yeah. Did you ever play hurling or Gaelic? I played a lot of Gaelic football growing up, you know, yeah. from you know and there wasn't really yeah. much of anything else. Yeah, I can notice that in your gameplay, the way you were like very dogged and you could tell the way a ball would bounce. There was, I think that's a good yeah. thing. Like if you look at the, Rob Kearney as well, the way he's amazing under a high ball, you can tell he very in the backyard and catching a few, few, few yeah, Gary Owens. The big thing you notice from Gaelic football, and certainly whenever I came back from playing Gaelic in the summer to, to rugby in the winter, was that in Gaelic football, it's all about attacking the ball. So you're always running onto it. So if you see a ball in the air, you're kind of holding back to attack it and catch it almost at full height. Where in rugby, it's very much, you know, you used to wait for it and cradle it and catch it into your chest. So so I think that whenever you're running onto a pass, when you're running onto a high ball or a cross field kick, Gaelic football, those sort of skills are really transferable. And also it's the vision. You, know, yeah. you learn whenever you're solo in a ball, you have players to your left, right. You know, your head is always up. So... Personally, like my big thing is that for kids growing up, it's so important to play so many different sports. You see a lot of schools now, they're getting very focused and very internalized on just one sport. And it's all about getting bigger in weights. You know, my big thing is playing with your head up, practicing your skills, because eventually we'll all level out size wise. And if your skill level is at a good enough, if your skills are good enough and you're big enough size wise, you can make it in any sport. Yeah, sure. Look at Brian O'Driscoll as well. Obviously, one of your mm. past teammates. I mean, I've worked with him numerous times, and when you look at him, he's not actually that big. Now he's very wide. No, no. But like his <laughs> his skills are just uh, not, that's just since retiring. You look at Brian. You look at look at Shane Williams. You know, Shane Williams Shane was the Williams. best winger I ever played with. You oh, know, and he, he used to. He used to get the ball in his hands 20-plus times a game, and he could be at scrum half, out half. He could be in the middle of a rock. You never knew where he was going to be. Um, and he was only five foot 
eight or nine, I think. But he was just electric. Even Ches yeah. and Colby in the in the World Cup, you know, yeah. it, like rugby is becoming a game where uh, people are leveling out size, size and shape wise. But there's mm. always going to be those opportunities for smaller guys like a Shane Williams or Ches and Colby or a Devin. Even though Stringer is with eleven. Yeah, Stringer. Even though Stringer was yeah. a, as a sniper, uh, Jason Robinson as well was like very much like uh, Shane yeah. Williams. You know, what I mean, it, it, and, and, just the little jinx. The game needs that. You know, there's a lot of players who are becoming so gym bound and getting so structured that, you know, coming up against somebody with fast feet uh, is so difficult to come up uh, to try and tackle and lay a hand on. So the game needs to evolve. It needs to bring speed. You look at the way Japan played in the World Cup. Yeah. You know, it was instead of playing with strength and power, it was all about speed and skill. And and my, I would love to see the game taking a real focus to try and bring that into the game in a worldwide scheme. Same here. It would be absolutely incredible. Tom, I just want to have a quick run through your career. Uh, 69 appearances for Ireland, 30 tries, um, two Lions tours, a uh, few tries there. What would you say is the highlight of your playing career? Um. Uh, yeah, listen, I have some great memories. Some, uh, you know, to the, the Grand Slam at 09 is definitely going to be one that stands out, uh, particularly playing in the Millennium Stadium and beating the Welsh. Yeah, I was at, that's always sorry for interrupting, but I was, that was something I wanted to bring up as well. But yeah, continue, continue. <laughs> um, so that that was, listen, that's a great day. The first time playing Lions, uh, unbelievable because that was, you know, my dream was always to play for Ireland. So to play for the Lions, we all watched the 97 Lions video I must have watched it 10 times and um, to play for them so special but you know lads coming from Monaghan where it's very much Gaelic football territory uh, I didn't play for Ireland schools I barely played for Ulster schools I thought my dream of playing for Ireland was over so you know I kind of got picked out of obscurity really to get into the Ulster Academy and um, I, I managed to kind of go through very fast from the age of 18 to 20 to play for Ulster and get my first cap for Ireland and the old Lansdowne Road and, and that. Who was that against? Your first, it was against uh, the USA in 2004. So I think you scored a try, ago. no? Did you score yeah, a try in your debut? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I actually remember that now, now that you mention it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, listen, you know, it's it's a dream, you know, the dream is to, to play for your country, the dream is to, to sing the anthem and to to do that for your first cap, to be at home, your parents, um, family, everybody there to watch you. Uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to have 69 caps, but that first one was one that I still remember it. I remember David Humphreys, who was uh, an Ulster player with me at the time, told me in the change room to just soak it all in, try and remember as much as you can, because it'll pass like in a heartbeat. And um yeah, you know, it pretty much uh, it did pass in a heartbeat. I don't remember much, but I remember scoring that try in the corner, and and you know, it's, but it it was a, a dream come true. He's a player actually. Uh, also, really struggled to replace David Humphreys, isn't he? And yeah. they, they're, they're sort of maybe out of the four provinces, maybe they seem to struggle a lot. They'll have more that more so than the others. Do you think that's something that they might look into investing in in the future, getting a new out half in? Maybe Ian Madigan might come back over. Well, Madigan is coming over. Of course, we had, you know, you had Paddy Jackson, who was there, who's now obviously playing with London Irish. Um, but Hump was not just a, 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 you know, a great player. He was a real leader as well. He was somebody who was a real inspiration. I remember whenever I was 19, 20, getting into the Ulster camp and training alongside him. And, and he was a stickler for skill. 
Like he used to, you know, if I threw a bad pass, he'd be on on my case all the time. He just was pushing standards all the time. And that that kind of, for a young player, when your idol is giving you a hard time to try and get better, you know, it it, it, it hit me hard at the start, but it really pushed me. Um, so he was a player that definitely, you know, was a, a real idol of mine growing up. And I, yeah, I think that Ulster have got a few young out halves there, but... Um, you know, when you see the abundance of, of talent the likes of Munster have with the likes of Frawley, Harry Byrne, you know, who are probably fourth and fifth choices in Leinster. Yeah. Um, I know Madigan is now coming back to Ulster next season. You have Billy Burns there who had a good season, but can I see him really playing week in, week out for Ireland? I don't know. You, know, you have to really worry that how far behind is Ross Byrne behind Johnny Sexton and who is coming up next? You know, I, I, I'd love to see those guys being given more of an opportunity, but at the minute, uh, it doesn't look like they're going to get a chance. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 is, it is one position where you're almost like, in a bad way, hoping someone almost gets injured to get your, your shot. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, well, listen, as a player, that's always what you wanted. Yeah, you know, it's ruthless to say it, and to people's faces when they asked you, you always wish them well. But as a player, you are always praying that they were going to pick up, you know, not a bad injury, mm. just maybe a, a grade one tear, so they're out for three weeks, so you can get your chance to jump or, in and take yeah. it. Take your, they, take your chance, or they might get a cough. Tommy, who, who did you see as your biggest rival for your jersey when, when you were in Europe? prime your career was it Earl Z hey do you know what the person who used to push me and it was the best thing that happened in my career was having Andrew Trimble in Ulster uh, myself and Trimby were roommates we were great buddies there was a year between us he ended up with 70 Ireland caps and I had 69 so it was a bit <laughs> raging with that um, but he, you can come back in retirement know, we were, I don't think I'll get picked. But we, we, we were both so competitive with each other in, in training and the gym and pushed each other so hard. Uh, so, you know, with, with us in Ulster and Ireland, myself and Trimby were real competitive with each other. With, alongside that, you had the likes of Luke Fitzgerald, who was a young guy coming through, who, you know, he'd come through from school. Everybody was talking him up so much. And, and he was yeah. a real talented player too. You had Keith Earls then, who came through a few years later. So, it's, it's kind of the cycle, guys. You know, myself and Trimby were coming through when Shane Horgan and Dennis Hickey were kind of coming to that, the end of their careers. Mm. Uh, myself and Trimby were there for a while. Then you had Luke Fitzgerald come in, Keith Earls, Jacob Stockdale. So there's always that conveyor belt. And you're either the young one fighting to get through or one of the old ones trying to beat them off. Yeah, but you have to say, Tommy, as a winger, you know, it's all about it's all about getting the finish, you know what I mean? And you know as good as good as Trimble as good as Trimble was, I don't think he crossed that line in Ireland jersey as many times as you did. And any time he did, <laughs> I probably passed it to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not not only a try scorer, also the eldest sister, you know. Assist, uh, that's it, exactly. I, I think it might be obvious who your answer might be, but uh who was the best player you've ever played with uh, in the green jersey? Uh, in the green jersey, you'd have to probably say oh, Brian Driscoll. Of course, he mm. he was another man. Like I talked earlier about David Humphreys pushing standards. Uh, Driscoll used to expect incredible standards of himself. The one thing I liked about Driscoll though was uh, how he transformed from being an incredibly exciting. Uh, 13 unbelievable outside break used to score a lot of tries. Used to be such a threat. 
you know, he was able to keep that through his career, but then he developed, you know, into probably being one of the best defenders in a 13 channel in the world, which is so difficult to defend there. And then he became that poaching threat, you know, always stealing the ball. So, you know, to, it's one thing, guys, to be at the top of to top, be at the top of the tree for a year or two, and and to try and you know score tries and have a couple of good seasons. But to do it for ten, nearly fifteen seasons, what Draco did was just incredible. You know, he was a player that just constantly had to evolve. And you know yourself in any sport or in any walk of business, it's about evolving. You know, you get you kind of get complacent if you you know you'll end up being caught out. So Draco was is listen, he was he was a talent. Of course, he was. Um, but Jordan Murphy was another player who um, who I used to just love playing alongside, love training alongside. Jordan used that the skills that that guy had, he could just he could do anything on a pitch. So he was a guy who has, I used to really enjoy playing alongside, and and he was a good crack as well. Jordan also was he did, he did well getting picked from England as well, which was like quite a rare thing mm, uh, to happen. Yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, uh, well, it's one of those things. The quality that he had. Exactly. It's one of those things, it's almost like a rare commodity now if you actually play outside the four provinces to get into the Irish squad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. I, I mean, listen, it wasn't such a big thing back then. Um, but, mm. you know, when I, I kind of knew I had to be 20% better than, you know, the, the players that were playing at home, you know, because if, you, if it was 50-50 decision between you and a player in an Irish province, you would have to expect that they were going to get picked ahead of you. So, I use that as my motivation that I wanted to be try and really push myself to be that much better that the decision was taken out of the coach's hand and, and you know sometimes it worked sometimes it didn't. Uh, just leading on from Ross's question there, who's the best captain mm. you played under as well? Because obviously you mes- mentioned David Humphries and we mes- mentioned Brian mm. Driscoll as well, but like obviously yeah. Paul O'Connell as well. Is there any other? Yeah, well, you yeah, had I had, uh, I was fortunate again, you know, I had the likes of Alan Wynne-Jones over in Wales, I had Ryan Jones, who was, I think, the most capped Welsh captain, Uh, Sam Warburton with the Lions, you had Paul O'Connell and Rory Best, Johan Muller, so yeah, some uh, unbelievable captains, unbelievable leaders, Um, listen, I thought Rory Best, Rory Best is a fantastic captain, you know, you just see the way even his player, the players talk about him now, he's just so much respect. And it's not just about, you know, he's a great guy on and off the pitch too. Um, but in terms of as a leader and somebody, you know, who used to really make the hairs on the back of my neck stand up, Paul O'Connell was yeah. somebody who could give a speech like no other. And he didn't do it all the time. You always knew whenever you were playing against England or there was a big game, maybe against the All Blacks or, or a really special game that Paulie would come out with a, a bit of magic and there would be a speech now and again, maybe once, maybe twice in the Six Nations that, you know, it, it might happen the night before the match and you just, you were busting to get back and get out onto the pitch straight away. So, so uh, there wasn't a fear of was, God every week. You know, the fear of God stuff is, uh, that was just showing his competitiveness. And, and mm. you know, you'd see someone like Sean O'Brien and people, People like to be able to, to shout and roar in the change rooms and, and there's some, certain people do that. But when Paulie gave a speech that uh, really got you up for a game, it actually was a really calm, really relaxed. It was sitting in a room all in a huddle and just talking about doing it for your family and how this will make your family proud, how it will make your country proud and what it meant to wear the Irish jersey. And, and those, those are special days. Yeah, that's the thing. People know how much it means to the Irish players, and it's 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 brilliant to watch. Like we love following the Irish rugby; it's amazing. Yeah, 
but sometimes you know sometimes you kind of you almost not you take it for granted but sometimes you're caught up in so much of a bubble and thinking about you know you have to get your detail right i have to make sure i do this i have to make sure you do that when you actually forget that you're doing this for your family you're doing this the mm. sacrifice that your dad put in to take you to training every week the sacrifice that your mum did you know having to cook you all those meals or, or or take you to training or do an extra job and you know there's so many sacrifices along the way for coaches and everything else and sometimes you lose sight of that and, and it just takes now and again for a big game to try and remind you of those moments and those people yeah, and uh, uh, just on the sort of subject of captaincy there, Tommy, we won't keep him much longer. But uh, Andy yeah. Farrell's now taken over uh, from Joe Schmidt, yeah. and he made Johnny Sexton captain. Obviously, Johnny's yeah. not going to be around forever. Uh, looking at him, he, he might only have a year or two left. He's been plagued with injuries. Who do you think is the next Ireland captain after Johnny Sexton? Well, I think one person who would benefit out of this break is Johnny Sexton. That <laughs> that is a man who's needed to give his body a rest because yeah. he just gets battered every game. Um, and almost just to shower his head, I think that sometimes it just gets a little bit too much. And 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 certainly being an out half, listen, I played alongside Johnny. He's he is so he is a leader. He is a captain within the team, and he drives the standards. He pushes himself harder than anyone. Um, but when he has to, in the heat of the moment, make crucial decisions as well, it can sometimes get a little bit too much. And and that was the beauty of someone like Rory Best. You know, he was very calm and collected at all at all stages. Uh, listen, there was no doubt in my mind that Johnny was going to be named captain by Andy Farrell. Um, and purely because I don't really know who else. There was nobody else really assured of their place. Uh, you could look at a Pete O'Mahony, but again, wasn't assured of his place. CJ Stander, again, similar. Maybe a Robbie Henshaw. Um, but uh, sorry, a Gary, uh, Gary, Gary Ringrose, maybe. We, we thought yeah, maybe potentially James Ryan just because of the four-year cycle. Absolutely, but I know James Ryan, and he's he's a very quiet guy. You know, he's an yeah. excellent player. He wasn't. He was captain of the under twenties, very successful under twenties team, captain of a school team. But he's only twenty-one lads, yeah. and twenty-two. Yeah. That's the thing. And, you know, that the, may have rocked the, the boat as well. Massively, and the captaincy of a, of the national team is is a big deal, and you don't realize that until you're in there and you're facing the press conference every week. And when things mm. aren't going well, when things are going well, it's easy to be a captain. You know, you're able to, all the press are giving you all the easy questions and, you know, everybody's in good form. But when you start losing matches and particularly coming off that World Cup, the media are out for Ireland at the minute going into the Six Nations. And, and to send someone like James Ryan out there would have been very difficult and very unfair on him. So, yeah. James, there's no doubt James is a future captain for Ireland. Um, but, you know, he's still finding his feet. He's a fantastic player. Uh, but you need experience and you need, you know, miles on the clock. Um, and, and I think Johnny will probably do it for well, potentially even another year before James gets handed the reins. In fairness, I actually agree with you on that. I think there's only three people in the Ireland jersey or in the Ireland team who are like definitely guaranteed their spots. Probably Ty Furlong, James Ryan and Johnny Sexton. And yeah. look, you know, Johnny Sexton's been known for before, uh, like, when Leinster got absolutely thumped in the first half of the Heineken Cup final against Northampton and then came out and beat them. Possibly it was a comeback on, you know, Liverpool, AC Milan levels, you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, he, yeah, seems, yeah. he seems to be Steve, like, the you know, G. yeah, he seems to be influential to no end. And at the end of the day, sometimes I, I like the out half of the captain because, you know, uh, Ron O'Gara uh, has been known to say a few times that Paul, he'd be like, right, Ron, go up and kick that there. And he'd be like, oh, yeah. for fuck's sake, 
can't believe yeah. you're making me like this as opposed to it's brilliant when... it's a brilliant insight you know brilliant mm-hmm. insight into you know you're playing a team sport lads are playing rugby but actually a goal kicker is an individual sport you know so you're you're switching between um you know being together as a team and we do this together we all put our body on the line for each other but then the out half make sure you kick that over the bar so that we can start so that we can win and you know whenever a full team is relying on one player to make sure that he gets his kicks it's it's nerve-wracking it's hard and it was it was really interesting to hear Ono Garrett talk about that whenever his confidence wasn't quite there. That was almost a, a shot of confidence from his captain, Paul O'Connell, to, to trust him that he would be able to kick it over. Mm. Where if you're the captain having to make that decision, it's easy to, uh, to kind of go, not nah, we go for the corner. Mm. Yeah. Tell me, just before we wrap things up, uh, what, yeah. what do you make of the current Ireland squad? And uh, how do you think Andy Farrell's getting on since he's taken over as the, full, the, the first team like, manager? Yeah, since chatting to the players, uh, it seems to be a really good camp in there. Listen, uh, Joe Schmidt has had maybe his critics over the years and, and some of Joe's styles of play and bits and pieces might not have suited my game either, but he was the best Irish coach of all time. You know, his, his record says it. And, and, you know, to have never beaten the All Blacks in 110 years, he's beaten them twice. He's won a Grand Slam, three Six Nations. Yeah. You know, it, it's incredible what the level that he's taken Ireland to. So to be the coach to follow that, it is very, very difficult. Um, and he's coached me with the Lions and with Ireland. I think he's a fantastic coach. But this is his first time as a head coach too. So that's going to take time. And I think the Irish people just need to realise that we need to give these players a bit of time. You know, it is... It is a bit of a transition period. The likes of Johnny Sexton, Rob Carney, uh, Pete O'Man, these guys over the next year or two will start to filter out. But I've no doubt the, the strength of the young players coming through is really, really exciting. There is a lot of players coming through from that Leinster team, Munster team, Ulster team, and Connacht that can make a very, very exciting team for Ireland going forward. So, you know, give it a year or two, let the transition happen. Hopefully, we'll be able to still be able to win big games but uh, I think in two, three years time Ireland's going to be in a great place Brilliant Tommy Brilliant Tommy we appreciate uh, you coming on and uh, spend the time with us. Oh, <laughs> yeah and first it's the first time in the world that uh, all four provinces are actually like contributing to the Irish squad as well which is brilliant to see as well yeah, Brilliant yeah. Um, Tommy uh, thanks a million for coming on Barry do you have anything to say before we wrap it up? Uh, everyone thanks a million for tuning in uh, Tommy's obviously a legend and thanks a million for giving your time uh, hopefully everyone stays safe during this COVID-19 situation Absolutely. and uh, make sure to check out Tommy's highlight videos as well the brilliant uh, make sure to like subscribe and as always stay energised stay energised Tommy